What's up, everyone, and welcome to the Long Game Podcast hosted by Thomas Kopelman and Trayton DeVore. In each episode, you'll hear us break down financial topics that are relevant to the lives of millennials and other young professionals. Our goal is to help bring credible financial information to you in short, bite-sized episodes. Thomas Kopelman and Trayton DeVore are the co-founders and financial planners at All Street Wealth. All opinions expressed by Thomas and Trayton are solely their own and do not reflect the opinions of All Street Wealth. This podcast is for educational, informational, and entertainment purposes only. It should not be considered advice. Please consult with your financial advisor, tax, legal, and any other advisors you have before making any decisions regarding your financial plan. What's going on, everyone? Welcome to the 13th episode of The Crossroads, a weekly financial show for our generation. And for the listeners, welcome back to the Long Game Podcast. In right now, I guess it's Black Friday, so hope you had a great Thanksgiving. And this week, this episode, we're going to be talking about just kind of six pieces of advice that your parents give that you probably shouldn't listen to. And just because... I mean, we kind of talked about this in the episode, like this isn't our parents' stock market, like the whole kind of just financial world has changed since the 70s, the 80s, the 90s, even like over the past decade, it's just different now. Um, so we're just going to kind of address some of the myths and just some like piece of, pieces of advice that might not make the most sense for someone growing up in today's world. Yeah, and I, I got to give credit. I was given a presentation at Butler, and one of the professors said she was listening to my podcast and thought and like heard me talk about you know what you were just talking about and said like you should make a whole you could probably make a whole episode just on advice from your parents that you shouldn't listen to. So Lori Co kind of sparked this, <clears throat> but I what I will say before we get into this is like this isn't really meant to bring down your parents in any way. At the end of the day, your parents are truly trying to give advice that is helpful for you. Nobody's parents are like, hey, let's screw up my kids' finances. (laughs) But the problem is, is that our parents only truly know what worked for them. So, hey, great. When I was 25, this is what I did. This is what I worked. And that might have totally worked for them. But today, with just like interest rates changing, the stock market being different, like the value of, you know, Bitcoin and cryptocurrency, all these other things, like it's hard to give advice solely based on what worked 30, 40 years ago, which is really what sparked this piece. So we'll get going. First one is buying is always better than renting or that your home is your most valuable asset. So I I wanted to combine these two together, but the decision to buy versus rent is not as simple as buying is always better than renting. I will say when you break down the numbers, if you are going to live in a house for greater than seven years, you're probably going to be after expenses pretty close to a break even. And if you think about it, living somewhere for seven years and being at a break even is really good. There are no costs, but most people think, Hey, I lived in a house for seven years. I bought it for 300,000. Now it's worth 400,000. Great. I made a hundred thousand dollar return. And that's just not true at all. You didn't take into consideration like um, for one, even the opportunity cost of maybe the down payment, you didn't take into consideration the mortgage or the interest on the mortgage, you didn't talk about property taxes, fixing up the house, like furnishing property taxes, like furnishing a bigger house than an apartment, all of these things. And when you truly take all of those things into consideration, buying is not really a great investment. The reason why you should buy if you want to, keyword, if you want to, is because you want to set down roots. You want to not have to move often. Like you love the place. Um, You want to have space for your family or a yard. Like the reason to buy a house is way more on like what value does it add for your life? Then is it a good investment? 
And even just breaking down this statement even more, if you don't know where you're going to be living in five years, if you're new to an area, don't know if you'll love it. If you don't know, like, hey, maybe I'm going to get married and have kids. I don't know. Then maybe it does make sense to rent while you figure out those things versus I see it happen all the time with millennials. We buy a house, right? We graduate. We're there for two years. We get married. We upgrade. Then we end up having two kids over the next few years. And you're kind of like, well, shoot, now we have to upgrade again. And now you've had three houses over that time and you've had to pay realtor fees and the beginning of a mortgage is almost all interest. So you're really not making any progress and it's really not that great of a financial decision to do it that way. Yeah. And I think kind of one interesting aspect of owning a home and kind of like the flexibility, like renting is definitely more flexible, but I don't know if there's like any rules around it, but if you lived in a place for three years and you did decide you wanted to just completely move, like maybe move states, um, you still have like an opportunity to potentially rent out that um, the house that you were living in and rent could cover the mortgage. Like that's a, that's a stretch. You can't just go into it assuming all of that. Um, but I do think that's kind of a unique thing. Like if someone did have the funds to kind of easily afford three and a half percent down and they just kind of wanted, wanted a house, like maybe they have a dog or maybe they lived in apartments for their entire life growing up and they truly just want a place to their own. Um, you, you can still have flexibility if you kept it and you could afford to keep it and rent it out. Um, but I, I still always fall back. Like I'm more of a fan of renting just based on my own situation. Like it's allowed me to kind of live cheaper than I would if I would have had to save up some money for a down payment and just kind of having, even though three and a half percent might not be that much, like that's still money that could be in an emergency fund, or that could be kind of like your flexibility for now. And I think that's the biggest difference between renting and owning is truly just like the flexibility and the cash flow aspect of it. Yeah. Yeah. I think we could have a whole conversation topic talking about like renting because like I was just talking to a client today and he bought a house right when he graduated. He decided he wants to move downtown. He's going to turn the place into a rental property, hired a property manager three months in, they still don't have a renter yet. So like, it's all great to say that we're going to rent and things are going to go good until you can't find a renter or then you have renters that don't pay or, you know, they destroy your house. Like you have to remember that, like, it's not just a simple passive investment. And the other side of it too, is if you don't sell your house and let's say you have a $300 an hour house and now you're, you have to upgrade to a $500,000 house because that's what you want. That's on size. Well, you're going to need at least 5% down because it's not your first time home buyer anymore. And if you don't sell that house, well, I mean, right there, that's $50,000. No, that'd be $25,000 of cash at a minimum to put down plus closing costs. Plus if you're going to leave the furniture there to keep the rental furnished, then you have to come up with more. So you do have to plan for that. It's a lot easier to sell than go buy because you'll have those proceeds versus keep it as a rental, move to the next one. It's, you really do have to plan and save for that one. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And the next one we wanted to touch on was um, kind of just save as much money as you can. And that one, that one's tough because like, yeah, you do definitely want to save. Um, but I think we're going more for investing versus saving. And yeah. I mean, with inflation sitting at like, I think it just came out at like 6.2%. Yeah. If you're not earning 6.2%, you're, you're tech, you're genuinely losing money. Like if you have 1% savings account, even if you have a high yield savings account, you're still losing money right now. Mm -hmm. um, so I think this will kind of just reiterate the importance of you got to yeah. get invested and 
get get out of all cash for sure. And I think I think the distinguishing thing here is like your emergency fund is going to sit in cash. It's going to lose value to inflation. But your goal of your emergency fund is to be there for protection. It's not to grow it to beat inflation. So if inflation is 6.5%, well, then maybe you have to increase your emergency fund by 6.5% for the next year, which shouldn't be that hard to do. That wouldn't be that large of a number. Mm -hmm. Um, But you are right. Like it's not the advice is right of, hey, you want to save as much as you can. But people think of saving and investing as the same thing or interchangeable, but they're not. Investing is all about growing your money, keeping ahead of inflation, increasing, if not just keeping up with your purchasing power. So if you were just, hey, save as much as you can, 20% and save it in cash, you're kind of doing yourself a disservice if you don't need that cash for short-term needs. But yeah. I think you hit that nail on the head. So the third one is don't start a business, it's too risky. And so I think like this is kind of all over the place, but if your parents were not an entrepreneur, most of the time your parents aren't pushing you to go be one because at the end of the day, like, I think a lot of them saw like in the 2000s, you know, in 2008, businesses fail. They saw friends' businesses fail. And so they're just worried of like, hey, you know, I was able to keep my job most likely. Even if I lost my job, it felt easier to go get a new one than start a new business. So I just don't want my kids to have that same risk level and have these problems that could occur. So again, the advice is meant to be good. But at the end of the day, like just because it's not right for your parents to start a business doesn't mean it isn't right for you to go start a business. Because at the end of the day, like it's never been easier to start a business. You have the ability to market and to everybody across the world. And you can do it outside of your job. Like you don't even have to quit your job to start a business. 100%. And that, that's the biggest thing I think is if you have the idea of starting a business, one, when you're younger is the best time to give it a try. Coming from us who, who run a business, I also, we work with a ton of business owners you will learn more in one year of running a business than you will probably 10 years of school. Like you school is like, Hey, here's this concept. Go learn it. Business is now you have to deal with this and you have to figure it out. There's no option, but to learn and figure it out, fail, learn, fail, learn. And so do this as your side business. Like, Hey, I I work my full-time job. I'm going to start this as a side business. See if I like it. It's starting to grow. I like it. Boom. Then you can move full-time. I'm not saying, hey, go quit your corporate job, go start your business idea that you haven't even refined yet, but at least give yourself the option to start it. Don't just follow your parents' advice of avoiding risk because you'd rather go learn and fail in that business, especially as a side business, than you would to be 20 years from now. Like, I wish I would have pursued that idea when I had the time. Yeah, 100%. And I think you made a good point, like from the parents' perspective, like they're not saying it because they don't want you to be successful. They're saying it because it is risky. And even in my own situation, like I didn't tell my dad I was starting the business <laughs> until I started it because I knew like I had kind well, of like brought it up it. in conversation. Like I didn't want any negative negativity. I was like, I can't hear anyone else's worst case scenarios because I'm not a hundred percent sold on this in my mind. Like I'm doing it, but I know it's also risky. And I mean, like he knows I'm a smart person. I work hard. Like I would figure out whatever I'm doing, but even then he didn't necessarily want me to just quit my job and start this business, but that's what I did. And I think for someone like maybe on the fence like that or questioning if they want to start a business, like the, the biggest thing I asked myself was what's the worst that could happen? Honestly, like I was working, I was working kind of like a customer service account rep job and I was getting paid like 47,000 and it was good money coming out of college. Wasn't, wasn't really complaining about it, but 
I also looked at, I'm like, what's the worst that could happen if I quit this job, start a business, I had money saved up. And really the thing that I came to was I, I fail and I go back and get another customer service job and live the same life I was before. But I had the upside of, well, if this goes right, then I get to live the life of my dreams. And that's kind of what we're trying to build towards right now. And like you were saying, like being young, you can take on basically unlimited amounts of risk and unless, I mean, whatever, um, like responsibilities you have, like if you have a kid, you're married, whatever, like obviously have to take care of that. But outside of that, like it's, it's not going to get less riskier as you get older, unless you just kind of learn things along the way and make the transition easier, but you're never going to be able to take on more risk than when you're young. Yeah. hundred percent. I love that story. Um, okay. Four is pay off your mortgage as quickly as you can. So your parents probably did this and it probably made sense because in the eighties and nineties, um, interest rates were six to 10% on a mortgage. So if you sit here and, and look at the average in the market is seven, 8% and your interest rate is equal or close or above, well, of course you're going to go pay off the, the loan or the mortgage because that's a guaranteed fixed interest rate versus the estimated return in the market, which we can't really determine. So totally made sense for your parents at our age to be paying off their mortgage quicker. But today, like I have clients with interest rates from anywhere from two and a half percent to 4%. And once we get down to that low of an interest rate, it really is a different story. So again, I'm not here to tell you that you shouldn't pay off your mortgage quicker, but I think just based on the math, based on the interest rates where they're at, it's definitely not a, you should go pay off your mortgage quicker. If you hate debt or you've already done everything else financially and you have extra money, sure, go pay off your mortgage quicker if that makes you feel better but there is no need to be super aggressive with it, with interest rates where they are. Yeah, no, I definitely agree. And um, I think, what was I just about to say? I completely forgot when I look back at the screen. Um, never mind. Um, so point number five is all debt is bad. And if, if you're a Dave Ramsey fan, we apologize, but not, not all debt is bad. That's yeah. I think it's hard because like, I can see why people don't like debt because it like debt can be this like rabbit hole or this tunnel you go in that you never get out of. If you're always, you know, swiping a credit card and you can't afford it. So like, I still think high interest debt, credit card debt, et cetera, bad debt for sure. But I think like debt for your house or like debt for student loans or, you know, there's a business debt. Like there are debt where you can actually leverage it and use it to uh, basically set yourself better. Like, Hey, I could have $300,000 of investments. I could just go pay for the house in cash, or I could finance the house at a 3% interest rate, pay my monthly payments, keep all of that money invested. And for me like that, mathematically, that's going to put me in a better position. So even though I would have the money available to not have to use that, in my opinion, I would, I would still leverage the debt. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, with interest rates as low as they are right now, I mean, they're definitely going to change in the future. Like you're getting just about as close to free money as you kind of can at that point, honestly. You know, comparative to inflation, like I'm paying 4% on my debt, but inflation is six and a half percent. Like it's just kind of interesting when you, when you view it in that way. Yeah. Yeah. It, I mean, like we said at the beginning, like this isn't the same financial world that 
our parents really grew up in. And the last one we wanted to hit on was stay at a job for at least two years. And I mean, I feel like things have changed a lot within even, I feel like kind of just since we graduated college, um, because I I actually quit on my two-year anniversary, so (laughs) falling in line with that pretty well. But I I don't have the stats pulled up in front of me, but even like job hopping is one of the easiest ways to increase your salary. Like, yeah, you don't want to just quit every job because you're just chasing money. But if you're like killing at your job and you're not getting that promotion you think you deserve, or you've tried to get a raise and you, they just won't give it or whatever reason. I mean, there's just about every company has the same roles, like across the board, operation, sales, marketing, whatever, like you could probably switch companies and get an immediate pay raise, especially in today's market with how hot the job market, like people are looking for people. So if you're not in the best spot work-wise right now, it could make sense to job hop, take a pay raise and maybe get into a different industry as well. Yeah, I think that there's a shift in the world today away from like, it used to be that if you leave the job, it's your fault. And now it's the, if you leave the job, it's the company's fault. And I feel like we're moving more towards like a creator or like the individual world and less away from like the businesses kind of owning everything. Cause like, I remember even as a kid, like parents talking about like, oh my gosh, that person's only been there for two years. They keep, that's their fourth job in 10 years. And it was like, looked down upon like, I think there is a thing to say that like, if you are a regular job hopper, like you've had eight jobs in 10 years, well then it might, you know, on the resume, people be like, "Mm, like this person's probably not going to stay, but like, there's no reason to put some arbitrary number, like two years around the time that you should stay working there. Like life is too short that if you are significantly unhappy and like, you're not growing in your role, you're not growing at the company and you don't like it and you could go get paid somewhere else better. There's no reason to just stick there just because of some arbitrary number, like two years. So I think there is some merit to this idea that you don't want to just be this avid job hopper. But I also think that we should never put arbitrary numbers towards something because I know so many people that are so unhappy at their jobs right now, and they're not even using the current open available jobs to their advantage because they're scared of leaving too quick from their first job. When also like if you go and you get a second job and then a few years later you go to your third job, like, oh, hey, why'd you switch jobs so quick? Well, I moved into a role in an industry I liked more. I got paid more. I got better benefits and I got better flexibility. They're not going to be like, screw you for leaving. Like, you're <laughs> yeah. They're going to be like, oh, you're smart as shit. Like, They're going to be like, you're smart. You understand what you want, what you value, and you went and found it. Like that is a respectable trait. A hundred percent. Like, I don't think, and I don't think there's as big of a stigma on leaving jobs as there used to be. Um, But I think kind of off topic a little bit, one of the best places to be like, I don't know how many things I've sent to Indeed or whatever other job places. I don't, I swear they don't work. Like I've never gotten a response or an interview from anything like that. But I would recommend people to get on Twitter and like if there's an industry that you're interested in, like I'll just say marketing, for example, like there is a whole section of Twitter and it's just people talking about marketing and posting marketing jobs from startups like the best jobs aren't the ones that are listed on indeed like that's kind of like the end of the pack that they couldn't fill internally or they couldn't get referrals for. Um, So I think like if you 
if you just like truly hate like where you're at and you're just looking for something completely different that you've never really seen before, like it, it might be on Twitter. And I mean, Twitter's a mess. It might take some time to figure out like who, who to follow, what industries are even on there, like where to find things. But I mean, I see probably three to four freelance roles, um, on my on my timeline every single day for content writing in b2b SaaS or content writing for a marketing company so i think i think there's just a lot of a lot of opportunity out there especially with how everything just kind of went remote last year you can basically work at any company from anywhere in the world now so like you were saying life life's too short to stay at a job that isn't bringing fulfillment yeah and i think to build off of that like you're basically, it's basically build your personal brand because I think, and this was advice I gave my Beller presentation was like the, your personal brand is the new resume. Like resumes get looked at for eight seconds. Your personal brand is what can make you stand out. If you are going for a job and it's me with a personal brand versus you with similar experience, no personal brand, I guarantee at least nine times out of 10, they're going to pick the person with the personal brand that's been creating and educating and, and just like building in public is such it, it's, it's just not an easy thing to do, but it shows that you're going to work hard, I, I think is, is where it can really make you stand out. Yeah. And I was going to say like, even outside of like, aside from the content, it doesn't have to be the best stuff on the planet. It just, it also shows that you took initiative and can actually like put in work outside of what you were told to do. And show your growth from like one to six months in, like they can see like, wow, look how much he grew as a writer or a podcaster or as, as a video or whatever. And they can say like, wow, this person is really like building and growing over that time period. Cause being a new hire, they know you're not going to know everything. You got to be able to grow and learn and personal brand can, can truly show that to everybody. Yeah. And I think um, to even go a little farther on that, if you, like if you're working at a place now and you maybe have an interest and maybe you've always wanted to be a financial advisor, well, you could maybe start while you're at that job, just creating content, like whip up a quick little blog on Wix or something, Squarespace, and just start writing about it and get your thoughts out there. And that's only going to help because the site's been live longer. Like you have a chance to get found via search, whatever but you can kind of start building like a little audience. So whenever you are ready to leave your job, you have people that are already kind of following you and know that you're talking about finance and maybe you spin off and make a financial course. And that could be applied to just about any industry. Like if, if you have thoughts about it, like create some content around it, write about it, like set, set up a free medium account and just put your writing out there. Yeah. Agreed. Well, I think that's all that we really wanted to cover today. I think that was an awesome conversation. Yeah, Hopefully, you know, none of the parents walk away too upset, but people understand that like it can just be kind of dangerous taking advice from parents or other people because they're only able to see things through what they've experienced. Um, and so that's why we kind of wanted to help illuminate some things that maybe you've been told that might not make the most sense today. So thanks for listening again, please rate subscribe and we'll see you back next week. <laughs>